You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope, where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, in loving each other, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in his human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue declared that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father dear friends you all you always follow my instructions when I was with you and now that I'm away it is even more important work hard to show results of your salvation obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what's pleasing to him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. You can be seated. The Lord uh, helps us go deeper into this passage that Lexi just read. Thank you, Lexi, for doing that. When I asked Lexi earlier if uh, she would be willing to read the scripture, I said it's very it's longer than the usual passage we that we read and dig into. She's like, I don't care, I'll read it. So thank you, Lexi. That was a pretty bad Lexi impression I just did. But, uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, so I have a friend named Doug, and uh, he went on a mission trip just recently. Like He just got back from Cuba with his church. And um, that's, that's a whole big story, and I don't want to talk a lot about the mission trip, although I'm very jealous because I have lots of Cuban friends. I really want to go to Cuba uh, now that you kind of can, and it's sort of safe as an American to go there. Um, but he did send some, put some pictures on his Facebook, and I took a couple to show you. Um, put up this picture. This is a picture of, like, the bay there, and he's 20 feet from that seawall. And it was kind of difficult to see, but I think you can see that that's a pretty good view that you want to you could enjoy for a while right I mean I could do with a little oceanside <laughs> right about now for sure 
But then he goes 20 feet closer, and he's at that seawall, and he looks down. And what that is is you can't probably tell, but it's just trash all in the water. Like that beautiful view, but then only 20 feet away is just, I see, I see bottles and paper and plastic, and that's just the way it is there. And that's the way it is probably a lot of places as well. And so the, the thing is, like, depending on where you're standing or where your perspective is, you see something different here. One, time, uh, one person can be standing just 20 feet back and see nothing but the sea and the sunshine and the sky, but 20 feet up closer, your perspective changes and you see garbage. Now, they say one man's trash is another man's treasure. You've probably heard that cliche. You know, what are, when you get a different perspective, I think sometimes you do learn to see things differently. And sometimes maybe there's some things in my life that I've seen that I considered trash and I got to see it a different perspective in a different way and began to say, okay, that's, that's something to treasure. And I can understand why somebody would treasure that. The other way has also been true in my life. I've had some things in my life I thought were really, really important and they were so important to me. And then I got a different perspective, somebody else's point of view, some, a lot of times it's God's point of view, and I see it and I go, I've been wasting my time with trash. And so think about it for just a minute. What are some things in life, and you guys talk back to me just for a minute here, answer this question if you can. What are some things that maybe seem like junk to one person, but they're something beautiful? Somebody may see it else as something beautiful. What, what are some things like that? Video games. Video games, just in general, for sure. There are some folks who just don't get that, right? I mean, some folks are like, man, it's a beautiful thing to be able to sit down by yourself or with a, a buddy or a group of friends and play some video games. And then there's other folks that's like, man, that's a, that's a garbage waste of time, right? Yeah, so there's, there's a good example. Um, and it's also true of different video games. Yeah. That's a garbage game. I've heard y'all say that. That game's <laughs> garbage. And somebody else is like, I'm my favorite game. <laughs> you picking on Pac-Man. All right, what else, what else? What's something else in life that maybe is something that you could, somebody might see as junk, but somebody else sees it as something beautiful or something to celebrate? People. People, yeah, people can be that way. And we hate to admit it, but sometimes we do see people and kind of, maybe subconsciously, hopefully none of us do those Facebook posts or we're talking about somebody like they're trash, but, but it happens, and uh, somebody else loves that person. Like, that's somebody's kid, somebody's daddy or mama or you know, daughter. And so, you know, we see it from a different perspective. Anything else? Okay, animals, like your maybe pets. Uh, Lexi does not like dogs. I don't know if, you don't like, if she doesn't like dogs or she's afraid of dogs, whichever, but she's gotten okay with our big dog, Bud, because she knows Bud's going to bark his head off, but Bud loves Lexi, so he's going to greet her and he's going to go on. But the other dog we have don't know her. She don't like the other dog. He's not going to hurt her, but, you know. So, so there's that idea, too, for pets. And a lot of times it's that way with church, too, or any other kind of organization or thing or network or thing we might be a part of. Sometimes a, a local congregation, some might will go, well, that's just oh, that's garbage. It's junk. You know, I don't know if they'd use those words, but it's like, I would never go there. And somebody else is like, man, that's my home. Right? And so we have these different perspectives, different ways of looking at things. Some one person's trash, maybe another person's treasure. So today we're in week two of this series, and we're going through this ancient letter that's found in the scriptures called Philippians. And Lexi read uh, Philippians 2, uh, the first 18 verses for us this morning. We're going to get deeper into those as we go along. Now, Philippians, 
as we as we are studying this for about four weeks, we're going to see it's going to give us a, a broader perspective of life. We're going to get to see Paul, who is the author of this. He's going to have a different perspective on life that we're going to learn from. And he's actually going to point us, we'll see today, he's going to point us towards Jesus' perspective and how to have a Jesus view of our lives. This letter is written uh, by Paul, and it was about 62 A.D., which is about 10 years after he planted this church, 52 A.D. And so if you're doing the math and you know about the crucifixion of Jesus and how old Jesus was, less than 20 years after Jesus was crucified and the resurrection happened, this church has been planted. And then another 10 years, this letter is written. And it's really a response because they've given him this great love offering. And he writes that response to them. Thank you for this. And he's given them some teachings as the Holy Spirit leads him as he goes on through this. So a different perspective can lead to a different way of thinking. And a good example of that is the word success. I used to think success meant winning. Right? And that's, that's what most of us probably immediately think. Success. Well, you win. You get on top. You, you gain something. And then I read this quote from John Maxwell, and John Maxwell said, Success is when those who know you best love and respect you the most. He said that's his his definition of of success. And I read that, and it impacted me. And I'm like, you know what? It kind of changes my point of view. My my perspective changes a little bit now. And I, I, I see now success is not really about what you do, but it's who you are. Success is, is, a, is the overflow. And then the things you do should be an overflow of who you are. So success, yeah, you might do these good things, but they should be an overflow of who you are, the kind of person that the people know you best, love and respect most. So now I have a different way of thinking about success, um, which is good because if I had this way of thinking I had 15 years ago of success and we're in church planting and a year and a half in, I would probably right now go, this is a failure. But no, I've got a different, pers- a different perspective on it because the people I know best are, are people that know me best, hopefully, are the people that love and respect me most. I hope that's, and I, get, I want to give that back as well. Um, so Philippians, um, in these four chapters, he references the mind or your way of thinking 16 times. Now, he didn't write it in chapters. We broke it down into chapters later on. But when we look at this, the mind or your way of thinking is addressed 16 times. So it's a pretty, for one letter, it's kind of a short letter, actually. 16 times to really talk about this means it's pretty important. So let's pay attention about this way of thinking. So here's the big idea for us to build on this morning. With a change of perspective, God gives you a different way of thinking. With a change of perspective... God gives you a different way of thinking. Our hope is that as we go through Philippians, we are getting a different perspective. And so God will give us a different way of thinking if we allow him to. So we're going to build on that big idea with this thought. How you think determines what you become. How you think determines what you become. Now, I heard this story. I think it's a made-up story by a preacher because it sounds like one, and I just heard another preacher tell it, so that's where I got it from. But this little boy goes out into the backyard with his baseball and his bat, and he's saying, I am the greatest batter in the world. I'm the greatest batter in the world. And he throws the ball up in the air, and he swings, and he misses. And he goes, strike one. No big deal because I'm the best batter in the world. I'm going to hit this thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit a home run. Throws it up. Swings and misses again, and he goes, strike two. No big deal. I'm the greatest batter in the world. I'm going to knock this this cover off this baseball. Throws it up, swings again, hits the ground. Strike three. 
And he just looks at the ball for a minute. And he picks it up. He's like, wow. I'm also the greatest pitcher in the world. I just struck out the greatest batter in the world. I know, silly joke. But that's like his perspective, his way of thinking is, is determines who you become. In his mind, he was the greatest batter. Now he's got to be the greatest pitcher because he couldn't hit his own ball. He thinks it's all about attitude. How does attitude shape who you're becoming? You don't have to answer that, but just think about it. How does your attitude play into shaping who you are and who you're becoming? Paul writes in Philippians, Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. There's a phrase here, one mind, that just kind of stands out to me. As, as, we, as I studied it and as we talk about it, it means to be like-minded. And actually, you may have a version of scriptures that says like-minded because that's what this, this phrase means. It means to think on similar things. It's not about becoming a clone. It's not about becoming like your preacher or your, your church or your, or your denomination. It's not about giving up your rights to have a freedom of having, having your own thoughts. It's about like-mindedness. It's, it's about making Jesus the subject. It's about having this one thing that's the main thing we all are thinking on. Like having the like mind, have the mind of Christ. Think on these things. Actually, in another place, another letter called Romans, the same author, Paul, wrote Romans 12 too, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, transforming your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I hear all the time, how do I know God's will for my life? You have to let him change your way of thinking, transform your mind. So how you think determines what you become. And for Paul, Jesus was the subject. It's all about Jesus. And Paul wanted to be more like Jesus. And that's become kind of like one of our themes here at Awaken, this, especially this year. Like we want to be like present, aware, awakened, obviously, and literally more like Jesus in every moment. So the point isn't to be like each other. The point is to be like Jesus. And if you think like Jesus thought, you'll begin to live like Jesus lived. If you begin to think like Jesus thought, that's what Paul's teaching here. If you will think like Jesus thought, you'll begin to live like Jesus lived. And I like that. It's, it's if you'll be empowered by the Spirit of God if you think like Jesus was thinking. Because he, he, he actually lived out the way he was thinking. And you can actually live like Jesus, too. How, man, that's, that's pretty incredible when you think about it. Live like Jesus. And we kind of sometimes will take back and, well, no, don't, you know, I'm not like Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm like, well, you're sh if you take on the name Christian, it means little Christ, Christ-like. The word literally, literally means I am striving to be like Jesus. And, and, and as we walk along, we understand more and more it's not about striving. It's about just letting, allowing him to live through us. So it kind of takes more pressure off the, more for, the further down this road we go. So how did Jesus think? Well, we, can't, we weren't in Jesus' mind. We can't really know exactly what his thoughts were. But when you look at what he taught and how he lived, recorded in the scriptures, you see that Jesus thought about pleasing God. You see that Jesus thought about loving people. And if you're like-minded, you get a different way of thinking than the world has. And if you think like Jesus, you can actually live like Jesus think like Jesus, you can actually live like Jesus. And Paul goes on in verse 3 and he says, now don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. <laughs> be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. We immediately feel ourselves a little kickback on that, don't we? Because 
culturally, we're not, it's not ingrained in us to do that. We're actually more and more becoming, put yourself first. Think of yourself as better than somebody else so that they can try to maybe deserve you possibly at some point. So if you think like Jesus thought, then you'll think about pleasing God and pleasing others. And so we immediately feel that kickback. And the explanation, Paul goes on and says, don't just look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. He just goes on. This is what it means to have a different way of thinking. Don't just look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. He doesn't say don't care about your interest. He said don't just care about your interest. But then get involved in the lives of others. And this is all a buildup. This is all like he's building up in this letter to this key thing he's going to say right here. You should have the same, what? Attitude. Somebody say attitude. attitude. Say it with some attitude. You should have the same attitude. attitude. Oh, you got the attitude over here. Attitude. I don't think Jesus had that attitude. But he had the attitude. The same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Attitude is a little thing that, has a, that really makes a big difference. It makes a big difference in your life and the difference in the way you Think because simply put, the definition for your attitude is your mental habits. The habits you have mentally are what develop your attitude. And your habit, uh, it, it's your habit of thought, the way you've trained your brain to think. Our habits are the way we train ourselves to do things. This is how we train our brain to think. And the thing about habits is you create them, sometimes consciously on purpose and sometimes subconsciously. It happens. But you create habits. You can create good habits. You can create bad habits. It's easier to break good habits than to break bad habits. I don't know why that's true, but I have found it to be true in my own life. So, but, but an action that's repeated over and over again becomes a habit. And he's saying, you've got to do this with your mind. To have a different way of thinking, you've got to have the attitude of Christ and let it become a habit repeatedly. So we all know the power of a positive attitude, right? Because a positive attitude can help you get picked up when you're feeling down. When you're, when you're out there, that little boy misses the baseball on the, in the real game and he's down because he struck out, his coach can say, yes, that's all right, you're gonna get, you'll get him next time. His daddy can cheer him on instead of saying, can't believe you struck out again, son. He can say, man, that's, I struck out many times. And look at me. I'm able to keep playing and keep going here. So, so you can have a positive attitude. But Philippians doesn't say have a positive attitude. Philippians says have a Christ-like attitude. So the goal isn't to have a positive attitude. The goal is to have a Christ-like attitude. No, nothing wrong with positive. Nothing at all wrong against positivity. If you know me at all, you know I tend to be very much on the positive side of things. I want to say yes is probably one of my favorite words. Like I'm trying to be a positive person, a positive influence. But more than that, I want to be a Christ-like influence. I want to have a Christ-like attitude because Christ-like leads you to become more like Christ. A Christ-like attitude, Christ-like thinking leads you to become more like Jesus, and that's the goal. That's the point. Become more like Jesus in every moment. How you think determines what you become. And another thought based on this is it's about selflessness and not selfishness. And I know when I say that, we probably all like, yep, well, I get that. But it's very difficult to look at our, look at, for me anyway, to look at my life and to see that being the reality. Because I can be, I'm not even, you know, talking about bad things, but more focused on 
what's good for me and what I would enjoy more than others. A great example is just recently, um, we had this, this last week, which is about two weeks ago, there was a lot of things that were going to come together at the same time. And about a year ago, I began planning for this week. Because this week was the global gathering of the Church of God, which is our network that we're part of, a global network of churches. Um, we have a national uh, North American uh, headquarters in Anderson, Indiana. We have 50-something churches in Louisiana. We're the newest one. On the, we're the baby of all of them. And I was like, the global gathering. It's where, it's like camp meeting, if you ever know what camp meeting is. And everybody comes together, only this is like on a global scale. And we have churches, all, there are actually more churches outside of the United States and North America in the Church of God now than there are inside, which is crazy because we got, there's quite a few. And so this is an awesome opportunity of cultural exchange. And you get to meet up with, it's like homecoming too. You, there's people I went to school with 21 years ago, and we graduated, and, and we've been in ministry and life and kids and all this and in the last 21 years. It's like, hey, you get to catch up with them. And it's like the great speakers and the worship. Oh, my gosh, the worship leaders that they bring in. Wow. And I'm like, I want to go to this thing and, and, and bring my family because it coincides with our anniversary, our 29th anniversary a few weeks ago. And it was like, that's the last day of the global gathering. So it'll be a perfect, it's in Orlando, Florida, my favorite city in the world. I haven't been to every city in the world, but I love Orlando, Florida. I actually love it. And, and, and it was like, Orlando, global gathering, uh, family, family trip, anniversary, we could tack on some vacation time, and we could just go global gathering, Orlando, dude, my kids have never been to Orlando, because they were born after we left Florida years ago, and I was like, I'm going to have this great time, and I would just be in, I would be in heaven, and I got to thinking about that, there's another thing that was coming up that same week, fourth and fifth grade camp for our network in Louisiana, where 50 kids that are fourth and fifth graders We'll go to Camp Pollock in Pollock, Louisiana, outside of Pollock, Louisiana, and spend the week having Bible studies and fun and water games and pool time and all the stuff that goes with camp. And my son Jericho is going to the fourth grade. And then Shelly, earlier this year, got laid off from her job, which was when she could work remotely from home and was going to be able to free her up to do some stuff like this. Although financially it would mean saving up because we don't have the money just to go to Orlando and do the global gathering. It's mean saving up. You know, my, if you've heard me, my financial talk, I'm all about saving up for big purchases, right? Like save up for this. I'm like, it's going to take a while to get the money together to go to the global gathering and do some fun stuff with the family in Orlando. So let's start saving up some money for this. She, that she got laid off. So she started this new job a few months ago with no paid off, no, no paid time off yet. So it's like, she can't go to Orlando. She can't take off because still, she's still new. She hasn't accumulated vacation time yet. That takes a while to do. And so she's like, well, you know, I can't do that. But if you want to go, we'll figure it out. And I'm like, wait a minute. I could go to the global gathering. Probably get my, my mom and dad, grandparents. Grandparents always like to keep the kids. And I could go to the Orlando global gathering and I could actually instead of going to the parks I could just go to the beach which is an hour away I would have a blast and then there's fourth and fifth grade camp and my friend brother Ray pastor Ray um, in West Monroe is directing this camp and he's a he's one of my uh, accountability partners we meet once a month and um, he's like hey uh, what are you doing the week of fourth and fifth grade camp and I was like well I hadn't decided I'm kind of wanting to go to Orlando for the global gathering said, oh, okay, well, I kind of could use somebody there to, do, to run games at camp. 
And I was like, oh, well. And then Jericho's first year going into camp, fourth grade. And I'm like, you know what? It's a big expense to go to Orlando. And had to figure out something for the kids. Shelly didn't want to go anyway. She doesn't like big crowds. She'd like to go to the beach and do some fun stuff. She doesn't care about the global gathering like I do. And I was kind of like, you know what? I'll just bite the bullet. I really want to go to Orlando, but I'll, I'll come to Camp Pollock with 50 fourth and fifth, fourth and fifth graders. I, high school students and above, I'm good with. My own kids, I'm good with. You give me two extra fourth and fifth graders? Pfft, no, please. And so I said, yeah, I'll go. And I got there, and God just did something in me that whole week. Like, I even, like, was seeing people on Twitter at the Global Gathering, and they're posting these great posts, and like, man, I wish I was there. And I even replied, I hate I'm missing this. I wish I was there. But then I turn around, and these kids were just having a great time and stuff. And then Christian put that, there's a, a picture. I don't know how good it is. It's kind of blurry, but that's Jericho holding this Frisbee. It's a game called Ultimate Frisbee. And we were out there, and, and I, so I spent, instead of being at all the stuff I wanted to do at first, I spent every afternoon, Monday through Thursday, from 1.15 to 4.45, in the sun, in the heat. It was very hot, running these kids in games in one-hour intervals. They'd come in groups, and I would do these games, and then I'd have a 15-minute break. And, run these. and I had the best time. Um, I got to see my kid do some awesome stuff. God do some awesome stuff in his life as well. And I look back at that and go, if I would have just, and, and I don't say all this, or like say, look at me, I chose selflessly instead of selfishly because I had some moments where I was like, selfishly, kind of wish I was the other place. But then I look in hindsight and go, because I put lots of other things ahead of what I just wanted, I, mean, I got even more of a blessing than I thought I would get. And then I looked at the transcripts of all the stuff they were speaking about, and it was all about um, going forward with a new way of doing church and, and trying to become more multicultural in the church and, and trying to reach the next generation. I'm like, we're already doing this stuff. I, I would be there just amen and going, well, you're talking about do, wanting us to do what we're already doing in Natchitoches. Natchitoches is leading the way, y'all. Come on. So you have to think about the attitude of Christ Jesus is it's not about it is about selflessness and not about selfishness. So in a culture that's screaming, no matter what, put yourself first. Why would you put others first? Because that's what Jesus does. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he made himself nothing. Nothing taking on a humble position of a servant. Honoring God is not about self-promotion, but about self-abandonment. It's not about self-promotion, but about self-abandonment. Let me unpack that. Jesus did not, equality, did, not, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or something to be hold on to, even though he was and is God. He didn't consider equality with God something that he could grab a hold of. And this is the direct opposite of how we find the accuser, Satan, depicted in the Old Testament. Right five times through the Old Testament narrative, we see the, the, the character of Satan show up and go, I will be like God. And here is Jesus, Paul saying about Jesus, Jesus actually was the opposite. Like, I don't, I don't want to be like that. Even in the story of Genesis, we see the, the serpent show up, which is a symbol of the Satan character. And he tells Adam and Eve, you can be like God. And Jesus shows us a different way with the motive of selflessness 
and not selfishness. When you lose your life in Christ, he says to become, he became nothing, for us to become nothing. To lose your life in Christ, you find Christ's life in you. That's how this works. You lose yourself, your life in Christ, and you find his life in you. So Jesus, who was God, he put aside the right to what that means. And he did that to become a servant, to serve those who actually sinned against him. I think of, of him washing the disciples' feet before he's betrayed. And he washes the betrayer's feet, knowing it's going to happen. He's even hanging on the cross saying uh, to, about those who put him there, forgive them. They don't know what they're even doing. He came to serve even those who sin against him. So Jesus is the one who has every right to be served. If anybody has the right to be served, it's him. But he would kneel down and wash the feet, the dirty feet of his followers, and he emptied himself, it says, and he became nothing, made himself nothing. So check this out. When God created the world, what did he make it out of? Anybody know? Nothing. There's a Latin phrase, ex nihilio, which means out of nothing. God created everything that's been created out of nothing. And so if we think of that, Jesus shows us how God works. When we're nothing, God makes something out of you. When we're like Jesus, nothing, God makes something out of you because Jesus is definitely a something. Paul says he made himself to be nothing. And we say, well, he's everything. And this is what it is when, you make, when you're nothing. God can make something out of you. And this isn't about putting yourself down or saying, you know, well, you know, my, I'm just a scum of the earth. I've actually heard people say that. It's like, I believe I'm just no good old, uh, what do you say, dirty dog. I'm thankful that God takes me anyway. I'm like, I am too. But you know what he does? He changes us. We don't stay a dirty dog. <laughs> he changes us as we walk with him. We still are nothing, but he makes something out of us. So it's not like saying that. It's about saying, you know what? My life is not my own. That I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. My life is his. My life is all about him. When I say Jesus is the subject, it's not just a catchphrase that we're trying to use. It is literally, my life is not my own. Jesus is the subject of it. This church is his church. He's the subject of this. It means I'm permanently devoted to Jesus and I will live for him. I will say, your will be done for life. That's what it means. So how you think determines what you become, and it's all about being selfless and not selfish. And then we begin to see this, and this will wrap, kind of wrap us up, head us home. Serving is not what I do, it's who I am. That's what, be, that's what happens. So we begin to learn and see. That becomes all of our, um, kind of our claim that we can say. Serving is not, not what, I, what we do, it's who we are. Jesus is our example. He gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a servant. This is who Jesus was and is. So how did he serve? Verse 8 is one of the most important passages in Christian scripture. He humbled himself in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on the cross. This is how he served. So God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above other names, so that all other names, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Serving isn't simply what Jesus did. Serving is who Jesus is or who he was. As an apprentice of Jesus, he's the master. We're an apprentice. He's the template. 
We want to pattern ourselves after him. Serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. You're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. Never. We have all these lists of all these things that what it means to be a Christian. And it's like Jesus actually came to deliver the Jews from a, from a list. And then over the last 2,000 years, we've developed this other list. And we have many lists. And basically, he's saying, love me and love your neighbor. And that involves serving. Serving. So let's get a, this panorama moment. We're using this idea of a panorama. A panorama is an unbroken view. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a broad picture. It's giving you the whole perspective of something. It's, it's like the full picture. Paul, the writer of Philippians, to get the full picture, we've got to understand this. He is chained up 24 hours a day to a Roman guard because he's under house arrest. He is waiting for a trial that will determine his fate as he writes these words. Paul, who wrote the words that, that you know, full well they could pronounce any time, guilty, and give him the death sentence for preaching about Jesus, he could be, at any moment this could happen. That's the context. That's the broader view, the panorama view of what he wrote in Philippians. He is under house arrest for preaching the gospel, and he's chained to these guards 24 hours a day, how could he write such beautiful words that we find in Philippians? Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. While well, he's chained. Philippians 3.8, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. While well, he's under rest. And in Philippians 4, 6, he says, Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done while He's facing an uncertain future that definitely could very well end with His execution. He writes these words. How could Paul say this given the situation he's in? Well, if you think like Jesus thought, you can live like Jesus lived. That's what Paul is showing us. He's given us this, this perspective to see it. Paul had all these reasons to be miserable. Why me, God? That's last week's sermon. If you want to go back and watch the video on that one. Why? But instead, he began to say, okay, instead of why, now what? What do you want to do here now? This is the, this is the situation I'm in. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to keep asking why. I'm going to say what? what. Now what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me in this situation? Now what? But we probably have reasons to be miserable as well. How can I be joyful when life isn't what I, what I want? The thing I've learned, and I'm still learning this, but it helps. My joy isn't based on what happens to me, but what God is doing in me and through me. That's what my joy is based on. Not on what's happening to me, but what's happening, what God is doing in me and through me. Because even in difficult circumstances, even in grievous circumstances, God can do wonderful things in us and through us. And then he brings it home here for, for today anyway. Verse 17, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Even if it costs me everything, even if I spill my blood. That's what it's a metaphor here for. Even if I spill my blood for Jesus, I'll lose this life and I'll find it. Because my joy isn't based on what anybody does to me or what happens to me. My joy is based on who Jesus is and what he's doing in me and what he's doing through me. You can lock me up, but you can't shut me up. That's what Paul was saying. 
I hope if they ever lock me up, I can have that same attitude. I hope that this sermon will come back and go, this is how I want to live it. I hope I never get locked up. I hope I never do anything. Unless they lock people up for preaching about Jesus, I hope that's the only reason I would get locked up. I hear, I'm here to glorify God, and I won't stop until the day I die. Man, I want to be like Paul. I want to be like that. That's the attitude. But that's also the attitude Christ Jesus had. I'm going to give glory to my Father with every last breath. You know why? Because he's going to resurrect me with new life and a new breath. With a change of perspective, God gives you a different way of thinking. We always want to kind of leave here at Awaken thinking about what's the next step for us to take. And um, yeah, I think you guys are very creative and, and, and probably in connection with the Spirit well enough to, to let Him speak to you the next step. I'll give you a suggestion, though. Um, I would say definitely for all of us, check yourself. Because we're talking about attitude today, having the attitude of Christ. Check yourself. Don't check anybody else. That's, that's the thing we like to do. I love to hear these kind of sermons. That, oh, yeah, Quentin needs to check his attitude about Jesus over there. That's right. And I, I pick on Quentin but because uh, I know he's got the right attitude. I see it in him all the time. But we, but we do. I've done that, too. Like, oh, somebody, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this sermon. Don't do that. Check yourself. Your attitude. Let your attitude be like Christ Jesus. And then have this big prayer. I want to have a Christ-like attitude regardless of my circumstances. And I don't know everybody's circumstances. I know some circumstances. I know some circumstances here are pretty, pretty rough. I know. May your big prayer be, God, give me that Christ-like attitude, even in these circumstances, because that's where the joy is. That's where the joy comes in. Regardless of the circumstances, to be able to have that attitude that Christ had, it will be our joy to be like Paul, even in these chains, to give glory to God and say, you know what, I'm going to worry about anything. I'm going to pray about everything. Lord, we're going to do that. We're going to pray about everything. And um, not that that makes us some like you know Jesus freaks or, or you know super spiritual or anything. It just means that we're we're to, we're want to be guided by your word and your spirit. And you've taken this ancient letter written to uh, this group of believers of the Messiah in a place called Philippi thousands of years ago. And in this ancient letter, you've got some some truth that has just been uh, for us. It's, it's just persevered over time it's endured and we find lord for us or we can find the truth in this for us it doesn't just apply to these philippian folks back then but it applies to us today Lord, we we confess we want to have the same attitude that christ jesus had and in that confession lord it it comes along with that confession that sometimes we struggle with that sometimes we forget all about that and if we're being honest there may be times when we say i don't care about the attitude of Jesus. I want to get my revenge or get my way. Lord, deliver us from that so that we can show the kind of humbleness and the kind of love and respect that, that you have. So Lord, it starts with our thinking. Help us Lord, not to worry about changing the behavior first, but Lord, change our own thinking. Some of us, Lord, maybe have a, a way of thinking about somebody else in particular that we need you to change. Or maybe we've begun to believe some lies about ourselves not good enough, not tall enough, not smart enough, not pretty enough, not thin enough, not strong enough, not clean enough. God, deliver us. Change our way of thinking so that we can see ourselves and see our neighbors the way you see us and you love us as your children. So we say, Lord, you would just fill us with the fullness of your grace, your mercy, your love, 
and let it overflow and may your kingdom continue to grow and continue to go forward and Lord may you use our hands and feet to do that in this very city in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.church or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awaken Church LA.